Welcome to the Red Letter Disciple Podcast. I'm Zach Zinder, your host, and I'll be joined in just a bit by my co-host, Chris Johnson, who's coming up from Florida to join me here in Omaha, Nebraska at Herd Hat Studios. Hey, we desire that this podcast would challenge you to be a greater disciple of Jesus wherever you are. Uh, We really hope that when all of us together become greater disciples, we'll give the world a, a more truer, greater, and fuller picture of who Jesus is. And if that happens, we really think the world's going to change. And so I hope you're challenged. I hope you're inspired today. You learn a lot today. And I hope you probably have a few laughs along the way with us. Episode 11 today, it features one of my favorite communicators in the world. Like I'm always inspired, challenged, and can't stop thinking about her talks, even when they are over. And so we got Danielle Strickland on the show today. And so I'm going to ask her, like, give me your tips for public speaking as someone who does it a lot. Like, I want to get better. What do you do? And so also just a few months ago, while while working at the Meeting House, one of Canada's largest churches, Danielle was approached by someone in the church who had been abused by the former famous celebrity megachurch lead pastor. And so I talked to Danielle about how she has positioned herself to be a a person who is a safe place for someone to open up and tell their story to. Uh, if, if, if part of the solution in uh, abuse is to bring these stories to light, how can we be people that position ourselves uh, to, to have uh, safety uh, around us so that, so that we can hear their stories and, and bring God's light to it all? So it's an important conversation. I'm glad you are here today, wherever you are, to listen or to watch. And so before we get to it, I do want to give a special shout out to our season one partner, The Giving Church. Uh, they've man, been incredible in helping us get this show off the ground. And and that's what they do. They get things off the ground. A lot of times they do it financially and they've helped more than a thousand churches raise more than a billion dollars in their history. And I'm going to feature a webinar on August 11th at 1 p.m. Central with their president and founder, Phil Ling, who brings decades of experience. And we're going to have a good talk with Phil about how you, wherever you are, how you can fund your kingdom dream, your kingdom vision, how you can fund the, the church uh, or the ministry that God is calling you to be a part of. And, and so uh, it's August 11th at 1 p.m. The, the webinar is called Fund Your Vision. Fund Your Vision. And so I'll be joined by Phil. Can't wait to have you be a part of that. You can get more information on the webinar. And also, we'd love for you to register in advance at thegivingchurch.com slash red. We're going to give tons of free stuff away at the webinar. And they're already giving a free thing away at that same link, thegivingchurch.com slash red. They've got a PDF ready to go. Five ways to grow your church's giving. Come on, pastor and church leader. Who doesn't want that. And so go on over to their website and support them. They're incredible people. And I can't wait for you to meet Phil on August 11th at the webinar. All right, on to the show. Speaking of 11, it's episode 11. Let's do this. Okay, man, today I'm pumped. We got an incredible, incredible guest we're bringing with us. Her name is Danielle Strickland. And Danielle, you are a spiritual leader, a justice advocate, a communicator, one of my favorite, by the way, and a peacemaker. Uh, You have uh, served firsthand countries all over the world, established justice departments, church plants, launching global anti-trafficking initiatives. so good. 
Oh man, you do a lot. Are yeah. you are you okay? That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> you know, my my husband wrote that bio, so <laughs> I feel like, and I do affectionately call him the minister of propaganda. So there just a little go. heads awesome. up there. So awesome. he's the minister of propaganda. I've also mm. read you're the ambassador of fun. You guys got cool titles. So yeah. Yes. Great. Titles are important. Titles are important. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you, it's a joy to have you on the, the show today. This is a, a podcast to help just challenge disciples and be the greatest we can be. And I've actually, I've done some research on you and listened to a couple of your messages that have just blown me away. And I would love to dive deeper on a, a couple of those uh, with you because I think they're so focused on helping us be greater disciples. Uh, the first one was a message you gave to Oral Roberts University, and you entitled the message, The Discipleship Secret. <laughs> and it's the one thing needed for discipleship. And uh, I'd love for you to expand on that. Yeah. Don't give it away, Zach. It wasn't your message. I, know. <laughs> I mean, this is so funny, isn't it? That that's like, I mean, it's a funny title. It's not a secret. Right. Uh, Jesus was super clear, you know, and really just cleared it all up. It's, it's love, right? Yeah. It's love, but we don't, you know, I guess we don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, it's so funny, uh, the Jews had spent, you know, generations making more and more and more and more complicated laws yeah. to follow, to please God. And then Jesus summed it up in two which is really one, (laughs) which then we've spent years and years and years as Christians trying to complicate again. Um, And really it just comes back down to love. I mean, John eventually says like, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't love, you don't know God, if you don't know love, you don't know God. And if God is love and that's it. And if your life doesn't look like love, then it doesn't look like God. It's just that simple. And we just really want to complicate it. And it's really not that complicated. I just think we overcomplicate things we don't want to do. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. That's true. So just go yeah. love people. There we go. We got it. it right Thank there. you guys. That was Danielle. <laughs> no, You're I love welcome. it. And so <laughs> part of it, and, and my mind has just been going on this alabaster jar woman for a while because that, that's the story you used in it mm. um, to express someone who's in love with Jesus. And I think you quoted a commentator that said, uh, the only good thing that Jesus wore to the crucifixion was the fragrance of this woman. And my mind's been there for like six months thinking about that. So I just appreciate that thought. I'd never, I'd never thought about that. Yeah. Um, but part of the message I also loved is you got into, I think, research by Helen Fisher on uh, brain science. And the three parts of the brain that light up the most, you said, were the parts of our brain that uh, pleasure, uh, risk, and attachment. Mm-hmm. Pleasure, risk, and attachment that, that, that she studied people who were in love. And those were the piece, those were the parts of the brain that really lit up. <laughs> I think that's cool. Cause I think we talk about love Jesus, but not necessarily be in love with Jesus. And so right. I think that's so fascinating to think about. And so from your perspective, um, as individuals and maybe even as churches, maybe it's the same answer, maybe it's different. Like, where do you feel like we're struggling the most to just be in love with Jesus? Is it mm. pleasure, risk, or attachment? Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm not, I wish they were categories, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that they're, they're, they have a symbiotic relationship, right? That they're, um, and for me, in that story, particularly of the woman, I was really fascinated by Judas's posture there because that's the that's literally the time where Judas leaves to betray Christ. That's the decision making moment for him. And so I was really captivated by like what drew this woman closer, and then what repelled Judas away. Yeah, the same the same moment, 
you know, and two disciples with completely different reactions. So I just, I thought I just was really captivated by the questions that came up for me in the text. Like, why was Judas so ticked off? Like what? And, and then we always blame it on Judas, of course, but all the disciples in another gospel are ticked off, right? So everybody's outraged on so many levels because love is outrageous. That's Mm. why, because love is outrageous. So I think the opposite of pleasure is not pain. I think it's duty. Yeah. Hmm. That's so good. I think it's duty. I think that we all suffer from this religious impulse that we should. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And we just stay, and I don't know if anyone's ever ministered to you or loved you out of duty, but it's not at all exciting. I'd say about a hundred percent of the time it's duty for you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you are hard to love. I am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So duty over pleasure. Yeah. I think that's such a, such a big thing mm-hmm. that we turn this beautiful relationship. We get to be in with God and turn it into something that's rules. Yeah. <laughs> More, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And obligation, right? Just obligation in general. Like we're, we're loving people out of obligation. We're serving. I mean, I, I've served people in underprivileged communities for a long time. And even that, even serving people out of obligation is just soul destroying for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So for Um, you, is yeah. Is it, is it the pleasure risk attachment? Is it, Hey, we actually struggle in all of those. So are are you saying that pleasure may be the, the, the one we struggle with most, or is it, no, that's just the one piece, but we also like, we don't choose say we choose safety over risk or we choose, you know, detachment over attachment. Yeah. What else about those? Yeah. I think it depends on what your pain point is, you know, like in the, in the setting that you're in, but I think the obligation one is the most easy religious thing to slip into. Mm. Uh, I think Richard Rohr wrote a book called breathing underwater, which is the 12 steps for religious leaders. Mm. And he says that it's this kind of like disguised religious um, like sentiment that keeps us applauding our obligation, our obligated lives, right? Like, so, so it's really hard to escape from obligation when you're applauded for when you do it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Right. So it's really hard to actually That's for true. like he says, the recovery is hardest for religious leaders because we wow. have all the all of our addictions or, uh, you know, disordered attachments would be a good definition yeah. of addiction. All of these disordered attachments are actually like applaudable. <laughs> yeah. And so it's really hard to get honest enough to identify what they those are because they're like they're religious. So everyone's like, that's awesome. You're amazing. Like, um, yeah. So I'd say some of those markers for me have just been really handy in my own life. Like when I slip into obligation, when I slip into safety over risk, like, so when God's prompting me to take a risk and I'm like, no, that's not wise. Cause that's not smart. And I should be smarter. Then I'm always like, Ooh, look at me. I'm moving away from love. Right. That's what I'm doing. I'm moving away from love. And, um, and I think that the discipleship secret is not that we arrive at love and stay there forever, but that we just keep moving towards love. Mm. And I think that's what she did is the alabaster, uh, jar. She's also the one that didn't leave the cross, you know, yeah. she's also the one that ended up at the tomb. So like, she just kept moving towards Jesus, just kept moving towards love. And I think that's the discipleship posture. Are we moving towards love? So, and again, like it's this obligation and safety and disconnectedness that will beat us over the head for not being in love with Jesus, which will not help us. You know, we can cue the Bonnie Ray song, right? Like, I can't make you love me if you want. <laughs> right. I can't make your heart be something you want. I do, but I think there's copyright infringements, things like that. <laughs> right. But that soulful, that cry, like I actually, every time I hear that song, I think God's 
God singing it. You know, yeah, like I yeah. just, I cannot make you love me if you won't. But what I can do is I can move towards love. I can move yeah. towards the presence of Jesus. And in that transaction, of course, his love begins to then fill me yeah. and I fall in love again. I think, awesome. you know, this renewal of love as a primary means, like that's the aim of my day is I want to fall in love with Jesus again today. I want to move towards love today. You know what? Uh, this is comp- this is a little off topic and this isn't a question that we submitted to you, but this is brought into my head. I've been doing this for about 19 years now. And one of the hardest things, like one of the things that is as a pastor, I just said this last week before I flew (laughs) to Nebraska where it's snowing. Uh, I, I said this, the hardest, one of the hardest things I have to try to navigate is addiction. And I'm talking um, uh, alcohol. I'm talking drug addiction. It happens so much. I just was wrestling with it. And the recovery rates are so low. And I see people like that I would never expect. One Sunday morning, I show up to church to do church. And there's this prominent person and he's sleeping in my um, court in the courtyard of the church. And his wife had just kicked him out. Uh. And and I was like completely stunned that this person was was doing it. And I saw that in in your bio that you had had um, years of like counseling with people with addictions. And I just as a pastor, this is a straight up honest question. I sometimes want to pull my hair out because I just feel like I'm not making ground Mm. and that people, you know, they'll be good and they'll get their chip in 14 days. And then, you know, they, they have another relapse and it just feels like a battle to sometimes like, I don't know how to guide somebody through. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really beautiful question. There's a, there's a book that a really good friend of mine, Aaron White, uh, just released this year called uh, recovery. Hmm. And it's uh, from brokenness to beloved community. Okay. And he really uses the Beatitudes and the 12 steps together. It's quite a beautiful, um, deep invitation to participate in the life of Jesus. And it's written for Christian leaders. It's part of the Baker Academic series of books. So it's it's okay. used in seminaries and stuff, but it's very easy to read. So I highly recommend it to everybody. Well, who was it? Who wrote that? I'm Aaron sorry. White. Okay. A A R O N White. Uh, really great resource. But one of the things he says, and this is one of the, I'd also recommend Breathing Underwater by Richard Rohr, because one of the things that's helpful to do when you're, when you're helping people through recovery is to recognize, like we live in an addicted world. Yes. Like we are all addicted and mm-hmm. we're, you know, disproportionately, our attachments are disproportionate in terms of our work. Like in religious people, just, we just make work. Um, our addiction or, you know, we just switch our addictions out to acceptable ones. But um, this idea of these ungodly attachments or these, you know, these attachments are, it's, it's a really beautiful journey of freedom that God invites us to. But what happens is because we're so our imaginations and our lives are so captivated, I think by the way the world works Mm. is we make recovery like a, um, a behavior modification tool. Yeah. And what we do is we try to convince ourselves that the problem with people who struggle with addiction is behavioral. Mm. And actually it's not. The problem with people who are in uh, addiction is actually attachment. It's actually, it's a love problem. It's a deep embedded problem of exclusion and pain and rejection. And so, you know, and I've learned, I've learned so much, not only from helping others, but also my own journey through addiction and Uh recovery in my own life. 
And it's just been an incredible, this, and again, back to this, like love literally is the answer to this, to be loved, to allow yourself to be fully loved is to begin to detach yourself from some of those vices that you're using to actually fill the void on the inside of you. But we just keep, we're just so, we're just like, stop doing that. That's Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Even the term, you know, even, I think you just used it. I used to use it all the time. It's like, they'll be good for a while. Yeah. And the idea is that they're good when they're not using and they're bad when they're using. I know. That's And I, yeah, it's, but it's just literally, it's like so embedded in our mindset that we think this is, and I remember I used to, I used to believe this too. I used to believe I was a bad kid. I used to believe I was a bad person. And then I'd be like loathing that I was a bad leader. And really there is this thing, uh, this revelation that we are beloved, that at the very core of our being underneath all the layers of pain and rejection and sin and oppression is this sacred, beautiful, beloved, knit together in our mother's womb child. So is that part of the key to help them navigate to see that? Absolutely. I think that's the key to all of it. I actually, I think that we've been living in the church which, with what I would call a theology of despair. Mm. And then we're wondering why the fruit is all despairing. <laughs> That's like people hate themselves. Self-loathing yeah, yeah. is at the heart of addiction. Right. And um, we're wondering, like, it's an, it's an addiction epi- epidemic. I'm like, yeah, because we've been feasting on a theology of despair. We really honestly, people believe God doesn't like them, that God's oh, disappointed yeah. in them, that they don't measure up, that they'll mm-hmm. never be good enough. And then they see everybody else through that lens too. So I've got a new book coming out in August called The Other Side of Hope, which is all about this, like, flipping the script on yeah. uh, despair and cynicism. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think like in, when it comes to what we've been talking about with love, that so much stems from the fact that like God's not calling us to do anything he didn't do for us. Mm-hmm. Like he came out of not obligation, but for the joy, pleasure. Right. And, and he, he risked obviously everything to be attached, to be close to us. And so I think the more we can give that message Right, we can't be love. I think I even. I think this was even in your your message. We can't be love unless we have been loved. And right. The more we can talk about Christ doing that for us, like then, yeah, that's coming out of it. So I love that. All right. There's there- another little practical thing, just yeah. in light of your own personal ministry, and anyone else who's listening to this. That it's yeah. a a new counseling system called Internal Family uh, Systems IFS. Uh, Jenna Rysamar. Raisama, I'm going to get her name wrong. Jenna is her first name. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's this incredibly beautiful uh, new way of counseling, which I think is at the heart of Aaron White's book as well. Mm-hmm. And at the heart of this calling of Jesus to be fully loved and then to become that love. But it is about taking all of the broken, fragmented parts of our own selves and welcoming them back. Mm-hmm. And out of that reconciliation within ourselves comes this wholeness that frees us. So she talks a lot about that, like impulse to behavior modify, which is most counseling and most 12 step programs is all behavior modification right. and talks more about this like reconciled self. Uh, it's really powerful. I highly recommend it. Awesome. I, I just Googled her. Yes. There you go. So I, thank you so much. This is, yeah, we'll put, we'll put her name in, in yeah. the link in the, yeah. And her book is all together. You, and I, I highly, those two books recovering by Aaron white and all together. You might, might hold some uh, hopeful answers for you. Thank you so awesome. much. Hey, Danielle, yeah. in, your, in your new book coming out, when's it coming out by the way, on the other side of hope? August in August. August. Cool. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, do you address uh, the story that you've, that I've heard you talk about, about Paul and the, and the shipwreck and everything going on in Acts in that book? 
I don't, you know, I don't think I do. I'm trying okay. to remember if I do or not, but that, that, that's that Acts 27 and yeah. then actually even 28, the last two chapters of the book of Acts is just still captivating me. <laughs> yeah. I want to go there. Cause I've heard you talk about it twice now in different mm-hmm. settings. I loved it both times. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think that, yeah, on the other side of the, there is hope there. So mm-hmm. in the story, just describe it from your perspective. Uh, cause you say it much better than I will. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, Acts 27, Paul's trying to get to Rome. Uh, his whole strategy is to try to tell Caesar about Jesus, right? Hmm. And then I guess he hopes to subvert the Roman Empire, which again, the impulse of all of us are to believe that it's the power, the powerful that change things. Yeah. Jesus keeps taking us elsewhere, but anyway, <laughs> trying. And uh, he gets on a ship and the ship will not go where he wants it to go. And so it's a comic. It's like literally a Monty Python skit of this boat trying to get where it needs to go. And it just cannot go there. And there's like a gentle wind blows it off course. Then there's like a northeastern wind, which means it's going in circles. And then finally, like a hurricane. And you hear these, you see these men on this boat. They're literally like taking ropes and they're trying to hold the boat together. And then they're like offloading all of their stuff. And they're just literally like, until finally it just says they had lost all hope of being saved. That's Mm. where it ends. It's just like, we're going to die in a shipwreck at sea. Mm -hmm. And then Paul has a vision and he has a vision. God sends an angel and it's a beautiful, even the way he says this, he said, the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve sent me a, an angel, which I, I just think actually that reframe of what we're even doing in this boat is a really good, not a bad practice for leaders. Like, right. you know, Paul was a prisoner on that boat, but not when he got a message from God. When he got a message from God, he was a servant mm. and uh, and he was an apostle and he would, this this was his ministry, right? Yeah. So I think that's important. And then uh, God gave him a word, which is kind of funny because he says to Paul in the middle of a hurricane, in the middle of a ship falling apart, uh, everyone's going to be fine. Like every single person on this boat's going to live, but the ship's not coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> and so I, I think it. is like the best prophetic word in the history of the world. Like, because <laughs> that's what we've I feel like we've a lot of us been through in many ways. And so yeah. I'd like to dive into that for a minute or two with you. Then of like, okay, so cool. So we're all going to survive. We're going to be okay. God's got us. Like the, the end is good. We know that. Um, but the ship might not make it or won't make it. So as you think about that as an analogy for our current times, like what systems or structures have we, what have been the ships in the past that as we move forward, we might have to let go of in order to be more fully who God's called us to be? (laughs) Well, I don't know. How much do you want? I mean, uh, how offensive do you want me to be? It just depends on what, what can you take? Do you, that's why we have you here. Yes. (laughs) You know, I mean, I think anything that prevents people from encountering God needs to go. Mm. It needs to go. So I'm going to say buildings. Yeah. Like the church as a building is like such an old idea that God never wanted. Not even in the old test. He's just like, I cannot be contained in a building. And yet here we are again, still like spending 80% of our budgets on stupid buildings. Get the church out of the building. There's one idea. I think the idea of, you know, again, back, it's old, it's Old Testament, even this idea that there's only a certain amount of people who are professionalized enough and educated enough as though knowledge 
uh, is what an intellectual knowledge is what the kingdom needs. That's you not know, the if, secret. <laughs> That's not, not the secret. It's love. Yeah. Right. So like if knowledge was going to do it, we'd all, everyone would be saved because we've yeah. never been more educated, right? That's like, true. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's not the answer. So the idea of like creating some sort of elite, uh, oh, special professionalized clergy, I think needs to go. <laughs> Yeah, and I think is going. Yeah. Um, I think hierarchy in general is actually demonic. And uh, Jesus came literally, like literally, the, the fact that even me saying these things is controversial is hilarious. <laughs> because Jesus washed his disciples feet and then said, see how I led? Do yeah. that. Yeah. You know, and now we're still fighting about like hierarchical orders and like who has positional authority and, mm. and then positional authority, you know, just a lack of transparency and systems has got to go. I think that's over. That's over. The Lord is just like, whoosh, you know, that's mm -hmm. gone. That mm -hmm. idea, like we're going to protect the institution no matter what it is. Like we're going to hold everything. That's all gone. That needs to go. Um, those are a few. I think the idea of a disembodied faith. So I even think like all the things like prayer meetings where we go and sit down and mm -hmm. like listen to one person pray. It's just like, what are we doing? Like, yeah, I think this idea of disembodied faith, that faith is what I believe instead of what I do, like all that stuff, it just needs to go. It's all, yeah. it's all uh, contrary to the ways and will of Jesus. I think we've gone that direction a couple of times now in, in the episodes in season one of, you know, I think it's so easy for us in the church to elevate what we do and then project that onto everyone else. And mm -hmm. it's like, no, God's called disciples Sure, some to be in ministry, some to be in church, but we need disciples of Jesus everywhere in every spectrum to, to be the fullest and greatest expression that we can be. So I really appreciate that uh, from you. Um, I also think that while you have a voice that speaks to a, a very large and broad audience, what I've really appreciated about who you are is how intentional you are about being a voice, not just for the masses, but a voice for one. Mm -hmm. And so I know right now there's some things going on at your former church mm -hmm. in Canada. Um, and there was uh, a woman that was, uh, had, had been abused and, um, she of all people, uh, came to you, um, to, sh to bring that truth into the light. And if, if bringing truth into the light is, is the goal and the goal is to start by telling one person, like kudos to you that you were that mm -hmm. one person for her. Right. And I want to know, and I know Chris and the rest right. of us, how, how can we be that one person for mm -hmm. somebody else um, who's in that situation or in an abusive situation so that they would feel comfortable and, yeah. and, and come to us so that we can then be those truth tellers for yes. them? That is such a beautiful question. Like, and I wish I knew the answer entirely. Like, I wish I knew more to tell you, but I think like, just the question is helpful. Like just to say like, because I actually think that's beautiful. I remember um, years ago, somebody saying to me, do you have the blessing of Job in your life? And I think one of the ways God described Job was that uh, widows on their deathbed blessed him. You know, and I remember somebody saying to me, like, are widows on their deathbed blessing you because of the way that you've lived your life? It was such a beauty. And I think there's something about this here. Like, are people who have suffered, you know, are they looking to you for help? Are they, are, are you a safe person for an abused person within a system? What a beautiful blessing that is, right? What a beautiful honor it is to be that person. And again, hopefully this desire to look like love 
means that you're safe, which again, back to that, like alabaster box, like that was not a safe thing for that woman to do, but Jesus was a safe person to do it with. And I think that idea of even just being like Jesus as a safe person for people Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable with and not to be abused. So why this is tricky, you know, is that you're both men. So this becomes, this is is tricky. It is. Um, And I think, and, and uh, rightly so in terms of like the, the track record, especially in the church right now, God's certainly exposing, not just in my local church, but all over the place. Yeah. Just this track record of horrible abuses at the hands of Christian leaders. Yeah. Uh, who have abused their authority and their positions and done so much harm. So I think, I think an acknowledgement of that's really important. I think as Christian leaders, we need to talk about this more. Like, I think we actually just need to talk about it and acknowledge it. I think we need to do a series on abuse of power and identify where those things might be present in our organizations and not by what we say, but by how we act and how people feel um, oftentimes when it comes to even just being someone who welcomes women, I think that's that's an interesting thing as leaders and co-laborers. Yeah. So I would say uh, to people who were trying to do that, I would say like, who are you listening to? Who are you identifying? Like, where are the leaders that are shaping you? And I'll just quickly say like, name three female theologians you read, you know, name three female speakers that you listen to, yeah. like name three leaders, female leaders that you might get some leadership tips from, you know, and usually it's like a nothing, 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 nothing. I'm like, okay, so then I don't know what we're talking about. Like go do some homework. Like, you know, so I think there's even just some basic like premises of like, you know, I'm not an open person. Like I am not a safe person, um, that we're giving off those signals and not even, we're not even aware of it. So I, th- I think that's a fascinating, you know, what did Jesus do that made him so safe for a woman to be so vulnerable with and right. know she wouldn't be abused? I mean, that's, that's worthy of a, that's worthy of a study. Especially in the uh, presence of 12 men who, uh, yeah. Right. Were also- and more, right. Whoever else was at that dinner yeah. and more and more women there too. But even the woman would be, would be scandalized, right. By what she yeah. did. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, you go back to Mary sitting at his feet as a disciple and then, you know, Martha's the one with the problem, right? Um, So even, you know, just that idea of moving out of social norms and into places that are safe and beautiful and loving. Listen, I don't want to come alongside and suggest your next book, but I think we've got your next book. (laughs) There you go. There we go. Hope on the other side of writing that. Yes. um, There's another. (laughs) So I do have just a practical, like, how hard is it to come up with these ideas for the next book? Like, how do, does it just pop into your head and never escape? And then you're like, okay, I'm doing a book right here. This is a, like, how, can you just quickly walk me through that? Because I can't even imagine. This guy's written a couple of books. I got some ideas, but I just, I have no focus. Yeah, it's harder than it sounds, actually. And, um, I think, you know, this last book I, I wrote, The Other Side of Hope, I actually am probably the most proud of it. Like I just reread it. I edited the typeset uh, stuff the other day and I was like, I kind of like this one. <laughs> I found if, I you like- like, if you like your book when it actually gets printed, like it's good. <laughs> right. It's like, wow, I actually like, I really want people to read this one. Yeah. Some of them I, I write and then I'm sort of like, ah. Ah. right. Like I'm so sick of it by the time it comes right. out or whatever. But this one I think is still invigorating to me. So, oh, cool. um, but this one was interesting. Usually I have this like thing I've been preaching about, or it's been like uh-huh. inside of me for a long time and it comes out finally in a book. 
Okay. And then by the time it comes out as a book, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm done. <laughs> it's a terrible for the circuit, right? Like it's right, the opposite right, of what right, we're supposed right. to do. Right. But, um, but this one was actually like a contracted one. Like I had to come up with a book. It was the first time where it was like, wow, I, I don't. And actually the only thing I could do was I just kept writing stories. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, so the book is actually a two, it's a flip book. <laughs> so one side of the book is the theory of sort of how we got to such a despairing and cynical time and how to get out of it. And then you flip the book over and the other side of the book is all just stories of my own encounters with hope in weird, uh, situations. Yeah. Awesome. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Danielle, you are such a gifted storyteller and, uh, especially, man, I, I think as a communicator, uh, you've got a lot that we can learn from that our audience can learn from. Uh, one of the things that I was just baffled by again, not knowing in the, in the time it was happening, but now after the fact I was at exponential in March, uh, you were a speaker there and uh, all the stuff going on in Canada at your former church, all the, like it was coming out like literally that day and you step on the stage to preach and teach uh, to 5,500 church planters, pastors, and leaders, most mm. of them male in the audience. And you delivered an incredible message. So I want to know, like, legitimately, I, I, I get to communicate a lot too, but how do you, how do you preach like that when your inside is like crushed at the mm. same time? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, that's all you're asking some such good questions that I'm like, I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just did it. I, first of all, prayer, like people were praying for me and in all honesty, like, I don't really quite remember that preach. Like it was sort of a bit of an out of body one, like, cause there was, I think there was just so much going on. So my mind was just like, kind of somewhere else. Um, but I do, I do have a prayer. I, I, I practice a posture prayer before I speak every okay. time, which is a prayer of surrender, you know, where I just get myself out of the center of this narrative and just surrender my body and the stage and the moment and the, like all the nonsense, I just surrender it all to God to use. And then I, I posture myself in a spirit of generosity. So I usually open my hands and, um, and I'll just ask for what I need for the moment, like for the time, like I need some peace right now. Like I need some assurance. I need to see, you know, what you want to say to these people right now. Like I need to be in this moment and I just ask, and then just freely give what I've freely received. And then my final posture prayer is just to open myself to face others so that again, this isn't about me anymore. And how can I actually literally serve some people here? And for this, usually when I'm speaking, I pray this prayer every day as a practice of my own discipleship. It's a system called uh, infinitumlife.com if anyone wants to check it out. Mm-hmm. It's just like a daily, weekly, monthly rhythm of life that I practice. And this is one of the, the daily prayers. But the other is posture. When I speak especially, what I do is I just try to imagine, you know, a young church planner just like trying to make ends meet and not being able to pay the bills, but trying to love his community well. Or I imagine, you know, the next church planner or the team or the senior pastor that's like thinking about it, but it's risky and costly. And I just, I just put them there and say like, God, could I possibly uh, speak to them, serve them in this moment? And that seems to kind of get me out of this. Cause I think the problem, I think the number one problem with anything, actually we do the sort of anti-discipleship posture is like me centered. 
you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it can look like arrogance, but it can also look like insecurity. It's still yeah. me centered. Mm -hmm. And so what I got to try to figure out uh, most for most of my life on a daily basis is how to get me out of the center of the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love That's it. awesome. No, go ahead. I, yeah. I think it, like one of the things as a, you make it look so effortless as a communicator, I've even seen you a couple of times, like preaching up there, like, Oh, I think I wrote a note on my phone. Let me find it real quick. And so but, <laughs> I like, love it. It's not effortless, like right? You put a lot into this. In fact, on your website, you have five tips for a communicator. Do you remember those five that you give? What what are, what, are, what are the five tips you would give to communicators? I don't remember what those five are, but I'll give you five I just wrote after you <laughs> sent that note for this podcast. Awesome. <laughs> One is uh, just authenticity, mm -hmm. like be yourself. So a lot of communicators fall into trying to be somebody they're not. And then that's where a lot of like imposter syndrome comes up and like, again, arrogance, because you're trying to be something you're not just be who right. you are. So if you're a geek, be a geek. Yeah. Like, if you're cool, be cool. I don't care. But just like, just be who you are. Every time and I then, tried to be Stephen Furtick, it's never worked. <laughs> I have tried. It just never works. It doesn't, right. doesn't look good on me. Right. Exactly. And plus <laughs> you, you can't afford it either. No, so. I can't. Clearly. Yeah, yeah. The red sequence put exactly. his budget. Yeah, yeah. All the way got your budget down to zero for the year. So. That's it. I always say, oh, aim for connection over performance. Okay. Mm. So people are always trying to perform and I'm like, always try to connect. That's the aim. Um, and then I've got this like little thing about preparing orally over written. Mm. Uh, so just even today I was, I have, I'm preaching this Sunday and I was in, I'm, I have a little garage office and my husband knocked on the door because he forgot to ask me something. He came in and he's like, who are you, are you in a meeting? And I was like, no. He goes, are you like talking? To, are you on the phone? And I was like, no, I'm just literally preach prepping. And he's like, and I, so what I do is I, I talk my preach prep. I don't write it. And of course they don't teach you this in seminary, but they should, because when you're communicating, you're talking, you're not right. You're not writing. And when you write something, it's a different part of your brain. Plus then you become attached to what you've written. This is one of the greatest problems with communicators is they're so attached to what they've written that they can't abandon the script. And then they get stuck either reading or memorizing something that's not natural in the way that you communicate. So I always say, don't write it out, talk it out. Cool. Hmm. And it's such a weird thing to have to do, but it's really good practice to do that. Yeah. Uh, I say a uh, posture of curiosity over judgment okay. so that you're speaking with people instead of at them. Mm -hmm. And that's a real, uh, that's a really, uh, tricky shift, but it's a really powerful one when you hear it and yeah. you can, once you start looking for it, you can really hear the difference between people who are talking with you and people who are talking at you. Cool. Um, and then I just, the, the final thing is like, so what? And if you can't answer that, then don't talk. Don't talk. Yeah, yeah I love it. <laughs> I think that's great. I so think that's what? great. Uh, Danielle, you, you have a voice that's helped so many individuals on the massive scale. And I think one of the ways you're using your voice now is to be a voice for other female speakers. And so you're starting something. You're starting something. You've already started it called the Women's Speakers Collective. Um, talk to us about that for a couple minutes and what, what that is and how uh, someone can, can find out more about that. Yeah, I think the reality is that like everyone has a voice. Uh, we just don't listen to them for the most part. And literally the definition of being marginalized is being written out of the story. 
And uh, this is kind of the story of women in, in the Bible as well, right? Like, and God keeps writing them back in. So in dominant culture, the, the women are marginalized. God's like, nope, you're going to go back and you're going to be part of the story. And you're going to be in the story. And I'm going to actually like weave you all the way even into my biography, my genealogy. Like you're yeah. just going to show up everywhere so that women can't be written out of the story. But then church behavior, church culture, we keep writing them out of the story. And so I got a little frustrated. I was always the exception to the rule. And I would be at conferences all over the place as either the only woman or one of the only women. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just said like, geez, it's lonely here. Like, where are all the other women? And I would go backstage and all these guys from different ministries would all be like, you know, networking and mm. sharing resources and best practices and connecting relationally. And it, it, and I would, I never met another woman on the circuit, hardly ever. Mm. Uh, mm. Like people would name, you know, famous speakers. I'd be like, never met her, never met her, never met her. She's always the other year. <laughs> 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 so um, again, there was just this lack of connection. There was this only syndrome. And then uh, when I started challenging conference organizers, like, where are the other women? They literally were like, I don't know, where are they? And uh, first I started yelling at them and like shaming them, guilting them. And then of course, none of that works well. So then I thought, well, maybe instead of all that, I'll just try to help them. And yeah. so we established the Women Speaker Collective, which is to create uh, more platform, but also some real training, support, collaboration, connection uh, with women speakers around the world. And it's been a really beautiful, uh, a really beautiful time that's actually convinced me more than ever before that women are not the problem. <laughs> <laughs> they are amazing communicators. I mean, I'm always blown away by how gifted women are at uh at speaking when they're yeah. given the the chance. Amazing. That's so great. Mm -hmm. All right. So we ask all of our guests the same question on the way out. And then we got a couple minutes, minutes of fun uh, with Danielle. Uh, she and Chris are both ambassadors of fun and both Star Wars. Who is who the biggest Star Wars fan is? But before <laughs> we get to that in just a minute, Danielle, we always, uh, this is a podcast to challenge uh, people to be greater disciples of Jesus. And so we ask every guest if there was one thing practically this week they could do uh, to grow as a disciple of Jesus, what's the challenge that you want to issue to our audience today? Connection with another person to walk with you, like genuine, authentic relationship with another disciple. I love it. Amen. And so, yeah, if, if this is the week where, hey, you've noticed I don't have that. And because of that and just that urging and the spirit working, mm -hmm. you're doing it. Let us know, hashtag red letter disciple, that, hey, you're in and, and, and you've got somebody that you're locking arms with on any social YouTube, uh, our podcast or on YouTube as well. You can drop it in the comments below. Uh, Danielle, you've been, you've been so, so great already. Yeah, thank um, you so much. But yeah, we're going to, we got to see who's the biggest Star Wars fan, <laughs> you or Chris. So all right, all right, all right. normally, Chris yeah. is the goofy guy that yes. runs the games. Thank but you. Chris is the Star Wars guy. So I'm moderating this one. This is the first time and we've I, done it like I this. I got a few questions for you. And okay. if you get it right, mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, that's going to happen. And if you get it wrong, mm, 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 mm. so big mm. time stuff here. Who's the Jedi Knight? Who's the Padawan? We're going to find Let's out. See. All right. So, Danielle, first question for you. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some of these are easier than others. But mm. which of the movies is the one where Luke finds out Vader is his father? Two points. Mm. One point, I'll do multiple choice. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's The Empire Strikes Back. That's right. Two points for Danielle. All right. Chris, yes. how old was Yoda when he died? Oh, come on. 
How old was Yoda when he died? Yeah, if you can say it without the multiple choice, you get Wait, no, two. No, 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 no. I don't want the multiple choice, but I do I get like a range here or no. something? I got a nail right on the head. Yeah. 1,000 years old. Almost. It was 900. That's a steal for two points without multiple choice. Danielle's crushing it four to nothing right now. I love that Danielle didn't almost know what Empire Strikes Back <laughs> but she was, knows but it. she nails Yoda. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, Danielle, which furry species lives on the forest moon of Endor? Uh, Ewoks. That's right. Six to nothing. Chris, which order brought about the death of the Jedi? What order number? First order. What? <laughs> Danielle, do you oh, know thought, this? I'll give you multiple choice if you don't. Uh, it has to be... Uh, I thought it was first, too. Just a second. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Give me a multiple options choice. The options oh. are order 55, oh. order 66, oh. order 77, or order 88. Mm, that's tough. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I, no, 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 I, no. She's hint. up 20,000 I know. You can give this one to him. He knows. Go ahead. You can have no. this one because I'm order like Jesus. 66. You get a point. Oh yeah, I think oh, that. Of course. It's like the order of the beast. Yes. Right, so let's see. Uh, Danielle, here we go. Or no, Chris, your turn. Good luck. Uh, Darth Vader's chest has some writing on it. What language is it in and what does it translate to? Sith. And it translates into love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all. I don't know. I have no idea. Any idea, Danielle? Yeah, it's, it's um, he She's won't crying. be forgiven or something like that. Are you serious? I'm going to give it to her. It's Hebrew, and it's his deeds will not be forgiven until he merits, which I'm not sure, like, gospel-wise, how that works to close out this podcast. Believable. That well, is actually, I, you know that uh, Judas, I equate to uh, Darth Vader in The Preach, uh -huh. right? Uh, All right, give it to me. Yeah, uh, real, finish it. Finish quick, it right finish there. It. So we're back to the alabaster box. But basically, I say, like, is Judas actually just a destined traitor? Mm. And I have a rule in my house. You are not allowed to wear Siths. Like you're not allowed to be part of the dark side. Like we're the good guys. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. my son came home with the Darth Vader shirt on. And of course, Darth Vader was kayaking. So it was funny. But I was like, <laughs> dude, like there's no bad guys on our shirts. And my right. son was like, he's not a bad guy. And yeah. I'm like, he is a he's Darth Vader. He's like the epitome of a bad guy. Like when he enters a scene, minor music begins to play. Like that's the universal sign of a bad guy. Right, right. But and um and he's like, no, he's not a bad guy. mom. Like he he's like Anakin. And I realized that when I met Darth Vader, he was the dark Sith Lord. Yeah. Yeah. But when my son met Darth Vader, he was the promising Anakin Jedi, yeah. Yeah. who actually has Darth Vader's just like a blip in his life. That's it. Right, just a bad spot, yeah. and then he actually, you know, then he throws the emperor over and saves his son yeah. Luke and joins the Jedi's again. So, like, my son's like he's a good guy, yeah. and so anyway, that's my whole: is Judas a bad guy or is he a good guy? Because he is the young, promising, you know, yeah. twelve disciple guy who was following Jesus. So depends on where you look in the story. All right, here, this is for you, Danielle, the ultimate winner and champion. Uh, the Wait, I mean, it wasn't even close. I know, I got smoked. Um, Danielle, you've been you've been so great for us, for our audience. Yeah, thank you. Uh, how can people find you if they want to know more, and especially about the Women's Speakers Collective, other other side of hope? Where, where can they go to find more about you? Yeah, you can just go to my website, daniellestrickland.com, and 
you should be able to find all the links there, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. I love it, Danielle. Uh, you're a blessing. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of the Red Letter. Great to be with you guys. Thank you Maybe so much. Horse be with you. Hey, and also with you. <laughs> there you go. Good Lutheran <laughs> That's response. it. That's yeah, right. I like it. Well, Danielle, like, crushed Chris at the Star Wars trivia battle. I- I'm kind of questioning... A lot of things about Chris, but I'm not questioning our guest today. She, again, really got me thinking. That's like her spiritual gift, I think. Danielle, if you want to add that to your bio, is like you just make people think about what you say. And and I'll tell you what, I'm challenged by her and and really want to learn how to be a better advocate for those in my life uh, who either may be hurting or, or may need someone to talk to. And so if you want to access the show notes or connect with Danielle and anything that she talked about today, we've got all her links and everything available at redletterpodcast.com. We are only a couple of weeks away from the free webinar with Phil Ling from The Giving Church. It's on August 11th at 1 p.m. It's going to talk about how to fund your vision and to not let money limit your ministry. So sign up at thegivingchurch.com slash red. You can find all the info there. Our final episode of season one. I can't believe it. It's already happening next week. Have no fear, though. We're getting ready for season two. Uh, But even though it's the last one of this season, it's not the least. We are joined by Scott McConnell, the executive director of Lifeway Research. Uh, Being in that position, Scott has a really awesome vantage point uh, for discipleship. And so we're going to dive deep into some data, or is it data? I actually ask him that question. So whether it's data or data, we're going to look at what's encouraging and what's discouraging when it comes to our faith. It's a really helpful conversation that's going to move the needle, I think, in your own life or in your church's life when it comes to being a greater follower of Jesus. Also, I didn't mention it yet, so on the way out, if you're able, would you leave really quickly? It only takes a second to tap those five star, five stars. Would you leave a five-star review as well for us on your favorite platform? That'll help us to continue to create more content like this in the future. And so follow and subscribe on your favorite platform, and it'll show up next Tuesday. A Huda Media Production.